Well, we are going to continue our Advent series through uh, hope and love and joy and peace. And today is about peace. And if you want to, you could take your Bible. You could turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at just one little section of Philippians 4. But I want to give us some kind of a precursor to get there. Uh, there's some background information that we need just even theologically so that as we get there and this, this command of Paul to the church, hopefully we'd be able to walk in that and, and live that out um, Man, Philippians chapter 4, I've shared with you before, uh, this is about year four of this journey of planting this church when God called me, and it was a year before I ever came here, and in the midst of that, he, he has allowed me to walk through anxiety, which is something that I've never experienced really before, and so there's been moments in, in, in kind of my like in the dark clawing for hope and peace in my soul uh, that people have come at different times and actually read Philippians four over me before. And, and I've told you as we're going through this Advent time, I, I think it's easy. We could do a lot of like Christmas messages, all the things, and those are good. They're not bad. But I've really been praying, God, what do you, what do you have for us that we could walk in the fullness of what you've given us, Jesus? And so I, I would guess that the majority of us in this room would say, man, I would love to know what it looks like to walk in peace in this life. Um, as Jackie and Renee read, I want to just give you this verse again, John 14, 27. Jesus is about to go to the cross, right? And you think about it for a moment, like this first advent, the arrival of the Messiah, the disciples are going, man, he's finally here. And now he's sitting with them. And they're thinking, you're about to set up this kingdom and do all this great thing. You're going to get us out of, out of the uh, uh, Rome as our kind of conqueror and get, set up our own kingdom. And he's like, hey, man, I'm about to leave. This is going to look totally different than you imagined. And he speaks this over them. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is going, what I'm about to do in my death, burial, and resurrection is give you the ability to walk through life with peace. And I think sometimes we can look at this and go, okay, well, I'm not really feeling in my heart this afraid, this worry, but that word troubled, if you remember, the New Testament's written in Greek, and so uh, we're trying to take their words in Greek and put them in English, and sometimes we lose uh, the depth of what their words mean. And that word troubled, when Jesus is speaking in John 14, here's some of the, the terms that it, that it represents. And I would wonder this morning if you'd go, oh, okay. <laughs> I've felt that in my soul before. I've felt that in my gut before as I'm walking through life. Here's, here's some of the words that that represents when Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. To be stirred up, to cause distress, to disturb, to cause a riot, or throw into confusion. And so Jesus is going, I'm about to accomplish something in my death, burial, and resurrection that's going to allow you as my people to walk in such a way that your soul is never stirred up, that you don't have great distress within you, that you're not disturbed or it doesn't feel like confusion's happening. I've met with people just in the last few weeks that are kind of like crossroad moments in their life, and we used Philippians 4 as a place to go because they're going, man, I don't know what's next. I don't know the direction that I need to go. This feels heavy. I'm confused. I'm stirred up. And I'm going, okay, Philippians chapter 4 is going to call us to do some things. And there's some promises in there where you can find peace, but most people never live it out. And so before we get to that, I, I want to talk for a moment about this word peace. Um, when Jesus says, peace I give you, my peace I leave you, it really goes all the way back to the Hebrew word shalom. 
If you watch The Chosen, we talked about The Chosen the other day, right? Uh, that whole show, they're, they're, as they encounter someone, they're like, Shalom. And when they're leaving, Shalom, it's hello and goodbye. But there's something really big and deep that God's trying to teach you and I with this word Shalom. When Jesus is going, man, I'm giving you Shalom. I'm about to leave, but I'm going to give you Shalom so you're not troubled, that your soul isn't stirring up and in confusion as you walk through life. Don't be afraid. There was a great uh, kind of definition of this, and it's wordy, but I want you to follow along with it. There's three things we need to take away from this definition that will help us as we get into Philippians 4. When it talks about this word shalom from gotquestions.org, which is actually a great website to look at biblical things, here's what it says. Shalom is commonly translated as peace. It uses both a greeting and a farewell. Shalom has rich meaning in Hebrew, Peace is an accurate accurate translation of the term, but shalom implies more than a lack of conflict. So if you're following along, here's our first thing. Shalom, the peace that Jesus is giving us, is more than a lack of conflict. That's important. According to Strong's exhaustive concordance, shalom means completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. It is translated success and is used as part of an inspired blessing in 1 Chronicles 12, 18. Shalom, now this is the next two parts we have to hear. Shalom is applicable to an external peace between two entities, such as an individual, as individuals or a nation, and as an internal sense of peace with the individual. That's a lot. But here's what that just said. Jesus comes, he says, man, I'm leaving you my peace, my shalom. And, And there's... There's not going to just be a lack of conflict, okay? Things are going to be difficult. So in the midst of that, what I'm trying to give you is peace between two individuals, between you and God the Father, and peace eternally, internally. That's what he's trying to accomplish in us. And so we see this in Jesus. John 16, 31 through 33, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, look, things are about to go down, <laughs> and I want you to have peace because this is going to rock your world. But I want you to see where, where Jesus is Acquiring his peace from. He says, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming indeed. It has come. When you, the disciples, will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. So just to put our mind in the context, Jesus and his full humanity is going, hey, the people that I love most, the people I've invested in most, I need you to understand you're about to scatter and leave me alone. Which probably in you and I would create a little bit of angst, a little bit of confusion in our soul. But look what he says. You're going to leave me alone, yet I'm not alone. For the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So he goes, man, my peace is not found in in relationships here in this earth. My my peace is not found in in what's going on around me, my circumstances. My peace is found in the fact that God, creator of heaven and earth, who is sovereignly ruling and reigning, will be with me. He's going, man, so I'm, I'm telling you this, guys. Before you go scatter to your homes, I'm trying to tell you that what I'm about to do is going to accomplish that same type of relationship for you. Because you're gonna have trouble. And it's going to get difficult, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So your gaze doesn't have to be on what's in front of you, instead what Jesus has accomplished. There is this covenantal commitment then that we receive 
as the people of God. I've said it every Advent, and we'll continue to say it this way, right? We're going to look at two things. What we want as believers, even I think even non-believers want the feeling of peace as they, as they walk through the earth, right? Conflict arises, storms come, hard things happen. They want peace. Everybody wants that. And so what we're looking for this morning is how do we walk tangibly in the peace of God? But, but we can only have that if we first have peace with God, right? Peace with God allows us, it brings us into then peace with God. And I want you to look at that in Romans chapter 5. If you remember the summer as we were going through Romans, here's how we find peace with God. This is how it happens. Romans 5, 1 through 5. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Do you remember what the word justified means? It is the act of God declaring over you that you are righteous and holy. Not based on whether or not you came to church this week. Not based on whether or not you read your Bible enough. Not based on whether or not you were good enough and shared the gospel enough. He's going, I've declared you righteous and holy. This is your identity. And it's found what? Based in your faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that faith, because of being made right, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him also we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He's going, man, what I accomplished when I overcame the world was you to have peace with God, that your sin would be washed away, that you would be claimed and marked as righteous. And now you can come, as Hebrews 4 says, boldly into the presence of God and know that he is with you. This is that covenant that we've entered into. He says, now we get this grace, this grace given unto us to walk in peace from God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Verse four, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You do not rejoice in suffering unless you have peace with God. And you cannot have peace with God unless your faith is in Jesus. And so this, this idea of shalom carries with it this covenantal commitment. Uh, think about, man, marriage is a covenant, right? Marriage is this place that, that God calls us into. And what he's saying, what we're saying is, hey, we're, we're making a covenant with one another. And so what that means is, Katie, when you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I'm going to remain faithful to you. And Katie, when I don't hold up my end of the bargain, you're going to remain faithful to me and you're going to take on my mistakes and I'm going to take on your mistakes and I'm going to love you well and serve you well and put you above myself. This is what covenantal marriage is. And now we're in this massively broken realm of covenantal marriage in America, but it's supposed to represent to be this picture of God's covenant with us where he's going, Matt, I'm going to remain faithful to you even though you're not faithful to me all the time. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to shepherd you and protect you, even if you don't have anything to do with me right now. This is a massive love that Christ has won for us when he overcame the world. We talked about it last week. This idea that God has, God has made a covenant by his name to care for you. Not your name, not, not what you do with your life. His name, his glory. He's going, I'm going to remain faithful, and I swear by my name that I'll do it. And we can trust in it, and we can rest in it. I love in Isaiah 54, 10, he's got this prophecy, right? And you think about the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And right now they're in exile, and things aren't right. And God said, you're going to be this holy nation. You're going to be this great people, and I'm for you, and I'm with you. And there's all kinds of things coming from every side, and they're going, where are you? 
And look what Isaiah says to the people of Israel, which is this idea of covenantal commitment to us. Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains may depart. Your, your Bible may say, the mountains may be shaken. For the mountains may be shaken and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace, my covenant of shalom, shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. I, I love this picture. Right? What, he, what he's saying to you and I is that when you look out on the horizon, whatever situations are going on in your life, and you're going, man, it feels as though literally the mountains are shaking in my life right now. That hills are being flattened. Things are way bigger than I can control. There's, it's way out of hand. I don't know what to, to do about these things. He's going, just, just trust in me that I can bring you peace because I'm going to remain faithful even when the mountains are shaking. Christ is going, I have won for you covenantal faithfulness. And so when you look at your life and circumstances are crazy, know that I see you, know that I'm with you, know that the promises of God are, find their yes in Jesus. He's not going to abandon us. And so here's the question we have to answer this morning. I want you to ask this of yourself even. Can we have peace with God, right? Can we be Christians having peace with God and not walk in the peace of God? Can we be a Christian and have peace with God and practically day-to-day not walk in the peace of God? Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> in fact, I would say for the majority of us, we like compartmentalize our life so much that we go, I've got peace with God, I'm going to heaven, I've, I've all my hopes in him for salvation, but man, this life thing and how this all works out in my job and my family and my kids and relationships that are broken, I, I don't know. I don't know how this is all gonna work out. I don't know how he's going to provide for me in these areas. And we have peace with God, and yet we, we forfeit the peace of God. And I'm going to tell you the reason why I believe is because it takes a lot of work. And so Philippians 4 is about to teach us. If, if you're one of those people that's like, man, could the Bible just be like, here's three steps and it works out? Philippians 4 is literally that. <laughs> it's like, you want the peace of God in your life? Do these things and you'll have it. But it's extremely difficult takes sacrifice and it takes time and energy and for most of us with our busy lives go it's probably just not worth it and we live lacking the peace of God in our life here's what I'm going to tell you church we talked about this last week hope is kind of the foundational thing for us to find peace and joy and all these other things that we're talking about in Advent and and, and I'm going to tell you this if the world Practically, day to day, if the world is where you're finding your hope, your circumstances are going to dictate your peace. And so what that means is when things are going well, you're going to be okay. But when stuff starts to get shaky, it's going to mess you up. And God's going, man, take heart. I've overcome the world. You've got a hope and a peace that transcends temporary circumstances. And man, it's difficult to stay up here, but he's calling us to greater heights this morning. And so with that being said, let's look at Philippians chapter 4, just five verses. I'm going to read it. We're going to break it down. And I'm telling you, this is almost like a formula. <laughs> it's like plug and play, promises of God. Do this, this happens. Some of y'all love that. So here it is today. Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. Just remember Paul's writing this in jail. <laughs> Well, with a real heart of, I, I still have passion, I still can rejoice, 
I'm not anxious. I'm not worried. I'm walking in peace. And he tells this church, starting in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, right? We've got peace with God. Now he's saying, you want the peace of God in life. Here it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And what's the result? The God of peace will be with you. So we get to walk all of a sudden in this peace that Jesus has given us in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so let's break down what it says. Let's see if this is something that we're able to do in our own life. And and, and Paul starts with this. Rejoice always. And and just in case you didn't hear me, hey, you need to rejoice. And I look at that and I'm like, but what about the times where I just don't wake up feeling like rejoicing? What do you do with that? This, is not, this isn't like a suggestion from Paul. He's going, the nature and the practice of the believer is that we wake up regardless of our circumstances and we begin to rejoice. So there's some promise in here that he's going, even when we don't feel like rejoicing, if we are a people of rejoicing, God is doing something supernatural in you and I to bring his peace. So we wake up in the morning, you're going, I don't feel like rejoicing. He's going, man, just rejoice and I will do something supernatural in you. And so how do we get there then? All right, how is it not just fake? How is it not just, I don't know, praise you, Lord, but I hate my life right now. Here's what I think. Like if Paul can be in prison, fading away and life ending, and he can go, man, I can find rejoicing. Surely you and I can. And here's where I think he finds it. And this is difficult, man. We we don't like this. (laughs) None of us like this, but it makes God so huge. If we can get to the place as believers where we wake up and we understand that the only thing that we should be allotted is death and hell, there's always a reason to rejoice in Jesus. But we hate that, right? A lot of times we live for the Lord, myself including, and we go, man, I'm living for God, I'm doing the right things, and stuff's still just falling apart all over the place. Like, where's the Lord? And we forget this covenantal faithfulness. We forget who we are before we knew Jesus. Like what you and I deserve is death and hell when it comes to our relationship with God. That's it. Never a day in my life or in your life where we deserved anything else. And yet he lavished us with grace and mercy. He calls you a son and a daughter. He gives you a purpose and a life to live. And if we can wake up, even when we don't feel like rejoicing, and Paul's going, I'm commanding you as the people of God, you want to walk in peace? You want your life to be in turmoil? Rejoice. And if you don't feel like it, go all the way back to the cross. Remember my faithfulness. And so he says, rejoice. Again, I tell you to rejoice. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I think what he's saying right here is that in a world that is seeking peace. Man, every single one of your coworkers and friends that doesn't know Jesus, your neighbors long to have peace in their heart. 
And where they're finding it right now is what Facebook and TikTok tell them is the best place to go. And it's not panning out. (laughs) And he's going, so if, if me and you, we can live our life in such a way that when our mountains shake and the hills get flattened, that we're responding with peace in the midst of tribulation and trouble, the world looks on and they go, that reasonableness doesn't even make sense. And we live as though the Lord is at hand. And then verse six, (laughs) Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. (laughs) Thanks, Paul, that's really helpful. Don't be anxious about anything. Got it. (sighs) But then he goes on to show us how we can literally be free from anxiousness. How we can literally be free from this trouble because of the shalom, the peace that Jesus has given us. And it's difficult. It's basic, but it is so difficult. Look what he says. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And here it comes. This is a promise. (laughs) This is why this is like a plug and play thing. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why do I think most of us don't get to experience this on a daily basis? Because the idea of supplication is this idea of coming to God, clinging to him, petitioning with him, holding on to him and saying, man, I'm not, I'm not leaving until this peace that you've promised comes. And you know where that doesn't work out? In our drive to work. <laughs> It doesn't work out while you're getting your burrito on the way to the office. It doesn't work out when we're like, oh, it's my lunch break. Things are feeling a little weird. Hey, God, can you help me? And I'm not, I'm not like, man, go to the Lord whenever you can. Supplication is not that. And supplication is you go, you know what? I'm moving everything out of the way because my, my heart is troubled. And Jesus said I don't have to live troubled. And I'm going to just be on my knees and I'm going to seek you until it comes. Because you promised it's going to come, so I'm not moving. So if that means i got to get up a couple hours early to meet with you because I don't want this angst and this worry and this fear and this turmoil and this confusion, I'm going to sit here and wait for you. Man, and most people, myself included, will not live that kind of life. And so Jesus has won for us this ability to walk in perfect peace, this ability to walk out from underneath fear and worry and angst and confusion. And we go, that just costs too much, man. That's a lot. Of, do you know how busy my, my life is? It reminds me of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think that's supplication, right? Jesus, Jesus kind of paves the way for us as an example. Like he's about to go to the cross and his 100% human person in that moment fills the way to that. And it says he's he's petitioning with the Lord at night. It's so late, everybody else is falling asleep. He's praying so fervently. It says he's sweating drops of blood. And he's going, man, God, not my will but yours. Like I've got some unrest. There's some turmoil. Not my will but yours, Lord. I need need your perfect peace because I'm about to go do something in his human nature that is just terrifying for you and I. He sets the example for us, and he finds peace to walk in what God's called him to. That's why he can sit with his disciples and go, you know what? Y'all are all about to abandon me, but I'm not alone, because he'd been in prayer and supplication. And so we have this promise from God. I, I, I don't know if y'all have heard this song before. There's a song by Hillsong. It's called Another in the Fire, and I think this is like beautiful words uh, to, to what, what's trying to be taught to us this morning by Paul. The chorus of that song, here's what it says. There was another in the fire standing next to me. 
There's another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free, there's a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. This is the idea of the truth of covenantal peace that Christ has afforded us. Right? That they were going through things, mountains are shaking, he's with us. And we've got to rejoice, and we've got to rejoice. We're going, I don't know if I feel like rejoicing. He's going, if I need reminding, I'm looking back to the cross where another died for me. So I'm going to trust that if, if, if you've proved your love, if you've proved your commitment at Calvary, I can trust you then for the rest of my days of the, on the earth. And so we make our requests known, and we petition, and we pray, and then he finishes with these last two verses. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Our thinking shapes our peace. Right? Probably your, your biggest unrest in your soul is when you are left to your own thoughts and you start looking at the shaking mountains. And it begins to stir us up inside. It may be what's coming tomorrow. It may be what happened yesterday. It may be the unknown of what's sitting in front of us. And we begin to look at that, gaze at that, think about that, and it shapes us. And so there's one more part of this formula. It's not just prayer. It's not just petitioning. But now we've got this place where he's saying, you've got to reshape your thinking. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 puts it like this. And, I, man, I think this is important. You know, it's hard, especially even for myself as Americans. Like, we just don't think much in, like, the spiritual context, spiritual realm. We don't. The Bible's pretty clear. There's, there's a whole other realm of things happening around us constantly. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, here's part of what's happening constantly in your life. And you don't see it. I don't see it sometimes. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war against the flesh. So it's going, there's, there's something unseen here that's, that you're fighting against daily, that you're in a battle with daily, whether you want to be or not. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. So these are thoughts. <laughs> these are arguments. These are ideas. It's going, they're raised up. There's this war. There's this battle happening in our mind, and you have the power through the Spirit to destroy those things. How? By taking every thought captive and making it obey Christ. So there's this call now. Not only is he saying, hey, you want to walk in perfect peace? Okay. Let's pray. Let's have supplication. And now you're going to have to do the work of taking thoughts captive. Now you're going to have to do the work of when your mind begins to go places to, to take that and lay it down at the foot of Jesus and say, I need truth in this, not a lie. And that's difficult. But Isaiah, Isaiah 26, 3, 4 tells us the result. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you. Is there anybody this morning that would like to walk in some perfect peace? Like, I, I would enjoy that. And so he's going, man, I'll keep you in this peace. I will keep you in this shalom if your mind is stayed on me. What does that mean? It means when you start looking at the shaken mountains and there's lies and false thoughts and false hopes and false, all these things, you've got to take them now, you've got to put them down, and you've got to let truth bury them. But if you don't, they're going to run rampant because there's a war going on, and you will be the casualty. Your heart, your peace, your soul will be the casualty if you don't do the work. And that's difficult. 
Uh, there was a commentary that I was reading on Philippians 4, and it was written by uh, Tony Meridian and Francis Chan. And, and there was a quote in, uh, on this particular part that was really convicting for me. So I hope it's really convicting for you. <laughs> um, that was a joke. Um, here's what it says. Do you live life with self-defeating, persistent thoughts filled with worry? This type of anxiety which Jesus and Paul talk about is sin. This form of worry is pagan. It, it could be called functional atheism because you're living as though God doesn't exist, as if he's not the all-sovereign ruler of all things. Man, that's, that kind of penetrates, right? Like it's these moments where we go, I trust you with salvation, sure, but like... <laughs> Do you see what my kid's doing right now? What, do, you, do you see this relationship at work, at, at how hard this is? Do you, do you see the struggle in my house with my marriage? Do you see the things that are going on around me? All, all my stuff's breaking and I gotta get, figure out how to get it fixed. And he's going, man, some of us live our life as though God doesn't exist when it comes to those things. As though he's not concerned with those things in our life. As though he's not sovereign and ruling and reigning and promised you covenantal peace that he will provide. And if we don't walk in that, if we don't, if we don't allow our mind and our hearts to line up with that, you will live without the peace of God in your day-to-day -day living. You know, when I was in um, youth group, <laughs> I was kind of in and out of youth group, but... When I was in youth group, and this is on me, I'm, we had great Bible teachers, and, and my youth minister was great, all the things. But when I was 15, 16 years old, I, I heard like three things at youth group because I wasn't concerned too much about anything else but those things. Um, here's what I heard. Hey, don't do stupid stuff when you go out on Friday night after the football games. And uh, read your Bible because that's what good Christians do, and pray because that's what good Christians do. Literally, that's what I took away from youth group. <laughs> um, and so there was something in me that was like, I gotta read my Bible. I'm, man, I'm not a good Christian if I don't read my Bible. I gotta, I gotta pray. I'm not a good Christian if I don't pray. I better get these things done or God's not happy with me. And it wasn't until, man, the last probably 10 years where all of a sudden it's like, the reason that God wants you to be in his word is because it's powerful. And the reason he wants you to be in his word is because when lies and untruth happen and you're looking at shaking mountains and he says you've got to take this thought captive and make it obey me with real truth Paul's saying you better fix your mind on what's true and what's real some of us have nothing to glean from and so we walk in angst and worry and confusion and uncertainty our walk with Jesus is stagnant it doesn't even feel like he's a part of what we're doing because we have no truth to glean from God is not calling you and I to be good Christians by reading our Bible and checking the list He's going, I'm trying to give you abundant life. Seek after me. See if I don't answer you in prayer and supplication. Man, I wish I would have realized that as a 15-year-old. It probably would have saved me a lot of grief. You cannot combat the lies of the enemy. If there is a spiritual war going on in our mind, you will lose that battle every time if you have no idea what the promises of truth are. And so my hope for us is not that you leave going, oh, I better just do better. I hope you see that God has said, I, this to you 
is my promises, my faithfulness, my character, and it it will transform your life. You need these truths. So would you just come to me? Would you just make the time and sit down and open this thing up and let the Spirit of God begin to open your eyes to understand things that you couldn't understand on your own? He's going to make the time to come pray and, 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 and make supplication because the peace of God will protect your heart and your mind. He's not asking for much. He's just saying, just come and I'll do the work. And so as we end this morning, I, I think there's two main questions to ask, right? If, if you can have peace with God and be vacant of the peace of God, uh, there's two things you need to ask yourself this morning. One is this. Do you have peace with God? You, you will not find the peace of God outside of peace with God. And, and so that means that, that's that faith and trusting in the work of Jesus for salvation. Look, man, I, I, I don't know if there's any non, non-Christians in here, but I want to talk to you just for a second. Like, I'm a pastor, and I love the Lord, and I try to spend time with the Lord, and my life is still full of worry and angst and turbulence. And I know where hope lies. Like, I've been there. I've seen that. And I can't imagine living a life, and my only hope is in what the world can give because it never satisfies. And so I don't know if you're in here, and you're like, man, I've been on the fence about this thing. Like, Jesus has overcome the world that you might have shalom, peace with him and peace inside of you, eternal life. Like that's what he's given us. In this world, there's no hope, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no love. Like in two weeks, we're taking Christmas trees down and the joy of the season's done. Whatever feelings you're getting because it's Christmas season, they'll be gone. But Christ is everlasting. He's eternal. And so do you have peace with God? And man, if you're in this room this morning, maybe you go, you know what? I'm not struggling with this peace thing. I am walking in perfect peace. I am trusting in Jesus. Praise God for that. But if you're not, if you're living as though maybe uh, almost like a functional atheist in the things of everyday living, here's the question we have to answer. One, are you presently walking in the peace of God? And if not, Scripture's given us three things to do. The first is this, we have, to, we have to change our thinking. That's what repentance is, right? Our heart change, our mind changes, and all of a sudden it changes the outside. And that, that way of thinking has to be measured up and weighed and taught by what God says is true. And so the next thing I have is a very practical question to ask yourself how, how are you going to replace the thoughts that you're trying to take captive with truth? What things are you going to put in place this week so that you're constantly going back to the truth of the word to combat those things? It's going to take work. But man, there's no other work that's worth it. And then lastly, I'd just say, when's the last time you, you did the work of supplication? Like if you're struggling with the peace of God, When's the last time you did the work of supplication? Um, Because it's an invitation for us to to have that, to have a mind stayed in perfect peace, no more confusion. Take heart because he has overcome the world. Let's pray together.
And so God, even for me this morning, I'm thankful for the reminder that as a believer, I always have something to rejoice in. I get to rejoice in you, Jesus. Your love for me, your purpose for me, that you've given me more than I could ever, ever ask for. And so we rejoice. And God, I pray that we would be a people in this room that are not thrown to and forth by the waves of the sea. Because they're coming. Hard things are ahead. Difficult situations are going to happen. But God, I'm praying for my own life by the power of the Spirit. Would you help me to think on what is true? Would you help me to cast my anxieties at your feet? To do the work of prayer and supplication? So that you'll guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's what we want this morning, God. So show us how to get there. Show us what needs to happen in our life to be able to do those things. And we love you. We thank you for your steadfast faithfulness, your covenantal commitment, and the shalom that you've put on us. So have your way in us, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.